Good afternoon, evening, or morning, depending on where you're at, beautiful people. Lucky to have Zojay here today. Zojay, nice to see you, brother. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I am well. Thank you for asking. I like your spectacles. <laughs> I like they mirror mine. So Zojay was one of our students. That's how I got to know him. He has been the voice I've followed most closely for on-the-ground coverage of what's been going on. And to say that it's for the last few weeks completely minimizes how long we've been leading to this point. But I'll just say for the last few weeks um, with the protests and the rallies, he's been my voice to get unbiased information coming straight to me that connects with me really well. So we know him as our student. I've now gotten to know another side of him, which I really like and enjoy. That's why I wanted to have you on. Zojay, please tell us your story and don't leave anything out. Sure. Um, so uh, I am a first-generation Nigerian-American. Uh, both of my parents are from Nigeria originally, um, and they moved to New York uh, to pursue their higher education. Um, many years ago. Uh, I was born in uh, Philadelphia and I moved to Illinois when I was three um, and lived there until I was 12. And then I moved to Virginia Beach. Um, so I was in Virginia Beach for the end of middle school and high school. Um, and then I moved to New York when I was 18 for college um, and I attended Columbia University. Um, originally a pre-med major um, and ended up double majoring in psychology and dance. Um, during my junior year, I auditioned for my dance agency that I'm still currently with, um, MSA in New York, um, and began, began working in the commercial dance industry. Um, so I've been working in that industry for about 13 years um, and have done a lot of work on television, film, worked with a lot of different recording artists, um, worked with a couple of different companies. Um, and I also have representation with the modeling agency, Wilhelmina Models, um, and have done a lot of work with them for different brands, New York Fashion Week. Um, and in addition to that, I do some work in youth development. Um, so I taught at a school, at a high school in the Lower East Side for four years um, as the dance teacher. Um, and I also ran their after-school dance program and coached two dance teams for middle school and high school. Um, on my own, I co-directed uh, the New York Youth Movement Collaborative, um, which was an uh, opportunity for artists and young movers aged um, 16 and up to work on articulating and creating their solo voices. Um, in addition to that, I um, directed and founded on an initiative called Team Z, um, which was for middle school students, um, 11 to 14. Um, that was similar to NYMC, but for, um, for middle schoolers. And in that program, we also had a pre-professional component um, in which we brought in choreographers from New York City to work with them and kind of share a little bit of their story with them. Um, so yeah, those are the three main things that I do. Cool, is the Z for Zojay or is that just it is. <laughs> you have your own team? Like, can I get a team S one of these days? <laughs> um, one of my students from Eastside Community High School, which it's sixth grade through senior year, she actually came up with the name Team Z and it, it stuck. 
So when you, I mean, when you have a, a letter like that, it could go any way. It's just a cool. <laughs> The Z is as cool as the last name of my my last name just being horny. Like it kind of stands alone on its own. Yeah. Been yeah. blessed. Hey, why don't you tell us before we get into the five questions and everything like that? Just tell us what today looked like for you. You woke up. I'll start you with that, and then you fill in the rest. Um. Yes. So very specific. <laughs> um, today I woke up and actually did um a little bit of like a social media shoot for Nike NYC. Um. It's Pride Month. Um, and so happy pride. Um, and so they sent me um, some product and so I was just working on producing some content um, for that. Um, and then I have been keeping tabs on kind of the Black Lives Matters movement, mostly um, through a resource called Justice for George NYC. Um, and they have been really publishing a lot of the protests and rallies that have been going on in New York City and the greater New York area. Um, and so there was um, a rally protest this morning um, on 125th Adam McLean and Powell. Um, so I joined that march. Um, and then I came home, had some food, took a nap, and now here we are. <laughs> That's great. So I'm going to kick you off with your first question. I would like to know, what is what is your experience protesting, attending these rallies? been like during the last few weeks? Kind of give us an overall impression. I'm sure it's taking you in a lot of different ways mentally. Um, walk us through that journey, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first kind of like community organizing um, that I did was um, in the middle of March, there was um, a run with Mod day that I participated in, which I also found out via social media. And I feel like that was kind of like when everything kind of, this movement of just kind of information sharing social media started. Um, so I joined that um, and kind of like uh, posted about it, talked to some friends about it. Um, and then after George Floyd died, um, there was kind of like this even bigger boom of, you know, this is something that we've been dealing with for such a long time, but we're all sitting at home and we're watching this happen. and how do we get involved this time in a different way? Um, and I think a lot of people kind of have that same feeling simultaneously. Um, and the first rally was at Barclays um, in Brooklyn. And I believe that was on the 29th. Um, and after that, many different organizations have kind of just, and individuals have come forward and been like, I need to do something and we need to do our part to bring awareness to what's going on right now and try to make change in as many ways as we can. Um, and so I've been going to attending protest uh, rallies and press conferences for about four weeks. Um, and generally speaking, it's been really uplifting. There's this huge share of information that's going on right now um, via social media and, you know, the youth is out, adults are out, um, local politicians are out. Um, everyone is kind of out trying to share information and support the movement in different ways. Um, there's been bike protests, there's been meditation protests. Of course, there have been marches every single day. Um, and a lot of community-based and youth-based organizing. Um, so it's just been really, amazing and encouraging. Um, for me, I really wanted to 
kind of established what consistent and regular practice of protest look like. Um, and so it's, I've been very fortunate to live in New York City where this has been ongoing every single day. And there are physical events that I can attend every single day um, as a reminder that there's still work to be done. Um, and it's encouraged me to come home and order books and do reading and watch documentaries and have conversations with friends, have some uncomfortable conversations with people that I work with um, about what our individual roles in this kind of massive movement is. And, and take us back a little, you touched on this in the beginning, but prior to George Floyd, you, you touched on it a little bit and kind of lead up, but can you take us back even a little bit more, just kind of take us through what your role has been as far as an activist or perhaps even not, and maybe, and that's okay. I, I just would like to hear almost the run up to, to where we're at today a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I've always considered my um, role in activism to be through youth development. Um, I've always just kind of felt like, you know, the more that I engage with youth um, and share my story, share my perspective and kind of encourage them for the better, that has been like the avenue that felt most comfortable um, and most relevant to me. Um, I have attended protests before um, I remember, was it 2012 when Trayvon Martin was killed? Um, that was a, another time where, you know, this movement kind of really stood out to me because I looked exactly like Trayvon Martin when I was 12 years old. I, I lived in a predominantly white neighborhood. I used to walk around in hoodies. You know what I mean? Just, just kind of the activity and behavior that you would expect of like a young um black male and it just struck a chord with me because I was like, this easily could have been me. Like I was him at his age. Um, and I remember talking about it on social media. I remember talking about it with friends and I also remember going out and protesting. Um, and then I remember when George Zimmerman was arrested, we were all kind of, you know, hopeful. We we're like, okay, he's been arrested. He's, he's been charged. Um, and I think we all had a different type of, not that we had so much, uh, not that we had a confidence in the judicial system, but we had maybe just not as keen of an awareness um, of, the of the judicial system as, as the awareness that we're having collectively right now. Um, and you know, when George Zimmerman wasn't convicted and so many other people like him haven't been convicted, I think we've all just kind of not really known what the next step is, just been like, that's terrible. Like, I can't believe, um, you know, he could get away with it or so many other people could get away with it. And I think we've looked at a lot of these incidents um, or murders like Trayvon's um, mm -hmm. as isolated incidents. Um, and what the conversation has shifted to largely is how all of these murders are related and how they're um, connected to a larger systematic issue um, and how we really have to consistently get involved and do our due diligence to educate ourselves if we really want things to change and we want to prevent this from happening again. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, Trayvon Martin affected a lot of people in a lot of ways. And, and that was the first 
time as a person in science, like I have my master's, I had to write a thesis, many semesters on research. That was when I first sat down and started to look at the numbers. I mean, I'm a data-driven person. Mm -hmm. And what was so sad and scary was that there, there, there was no data. There, yeah. there still taking out the Washington Post's collective uh, effort towards this. There is no data. Right. It's not something that the, it is something that the FBI would keep track of, perhaps not reporting because we we see huge jumps from what the FBI reported yeah. to what the Washington Post would report. Who's following? local publications. Mm -hmm. But the the breakdown for the FBI when reported had nothing to do with race. So it wasn't on, and I'm, this isn't me putting, I'm just saying like that was not part of their data collection. Therefore, it could not be used to assess. And therefore, there is no way to assess and then address. Does that make sense? Like, again, I bring everything back to physical therapists. I don't guess, I assess and I address. When you look for data that doesn't exist, I think you're going to have our time addressing a problem because you won't actually be aware of where it may be occurring more in certain scenarios, in certain areas, what's working, what's not working. So that was a little bit of a, a frustrating point, obviously. And anytime I say I was frustrated, I realize how small my frustration would be in comparison to anyone else involved who knew one person, even casually. But I feel like it goes to say that it it is that the data is now at least from other sources being collected. And as you said, through social media, people are starting to get more sharing of information in a different way. Um, the other thing that you said that really strikes a chord with me, which is great, is as far as um, you said, a meditation protest, a bike protest, it, it, it takes Malcolm X's and Martin Luther King's and everyone has to do what they're com comfortable with pushing themselves towards perhaps uncomfortable situations when the necessity calls, which I would say this does. But it is nice to hear that you're saying that there's a lot of different ways that people are becoming involved. Are there any other ways that you're seeing the people? You said meditations, bike. Yeah, I think specifically um, in New York, there's just been a lot of um, community support. So people are coming out to the protests um, and standing on the side and handing out water and snack. Um, there's people that, you know, are healthcare professionals that are coming out with first aid kits and just marching along with the protest to make sure if anyone needs anything, if anyone gets too hot, if anyone gets dehydrated. Um, at a lot of the larger protests that I've been to, um, a section of the protesters actually come up, come out with bikes um, and they lead the street clearing of the block in front of the protest mm -hmm. so that the protesters can um, cross safely. Um, other people are um, coming to protest with speakers and megaphones so that um, voices can be amplified and information can be shared easier. So it's been really amazing just to see how people have just organically taken on different roles that make sense for them at the protest and are helping out in other ways than just speaking and marching. Thank you for sharing. 
On to our question number two. What are some key issues that have been raised? Yeah, so um, I think, I mean, nationally and internationally, the largest issue um, was, of course, police brutality um, and kind of the history of police brutality um, in the United States and the way it hasn't been addressed um, and the way it is connected to mass incarceration and which is connected to Jim Crow and which is connected to slavery um, and kind of just the lack of education that we have as a culture um, of these systems and how they are all very much so connected um, and how the basically stank sanctioned murder of a lot of black people is connected to these um, larger systemic issues. Um, in New York right now, I think the kind of largest issue that is being discussed um, after 58 was repealed and after the Eric Garner um, anti-chokehold bill was um, introduced and passed, um, now the biggest conversation is about defunding the police um, so, you know, protesters in New York are asking and some local uh, local community members and council members are asking for a billion dollars to be defunded from the police and for that money to be invested in community services and education. So that's kind of like the big push that's happening right now. Um, and just recently, a couple of days ago, um, a group began to occupy City Hall. Um, as kind of like a permanent and ongoing demonstration to make sure that that defunding happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting thing because I think it's so easy to grab almost, we're always looking for memeable things and it's like, oh, defund the police and then someone will screenshot it and then say, oh, they want to uh, abolish police. And some people want to abolish and I'm not saying, but I, I think it is important to point out Everyone who says defund is not saying abolish. And right. defunding is reduction of funding, taking some of the duties off of the police's plate and mm -hmm. putting that money towards what I would say is preventative medicine. Is that yeah. your impression of the the appropriate words that I'm that I'm using? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think they are very different. And I think people that are calling for abolishment of police are um, pushing for community, exploring community-based security measures that haven't been explored. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the people that are asking for the police to be defunded are really evaluating, like you said, all of the many issues that law enforcement is expected to cover that maybe it's not appropriate for them to be covered. You know, do we need to have police officers in schools? Do we need to have police officers in train stations, things like that? And all of that money that we are spending on having law enforcement in these places, we could really be putting into uplifting communities. Right, getting more at the source perhaps. Um, interesting, interesting how everything you kind of touched on when you're talking about mass incarceration all the way through. Um, I wish, I know we're in a capitalistic society, but when there is money involved, there's bias involved. Yeah. And bias involved, you don't always see the best version of people. Um, I, I, again, this interview is completely about you, but my 
biggest issue politically has always been campaign financing reform. Mm-hmm. Um, if you cannot take the money out of politics, we are just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Wow. Uh, that is my two cents on that, and we shall move on. So what does continued activism, community involvement look like for you? Yeah, um, for me specifically, it's been, I mean, just um, the first level for me has been making it a daily practice. Um, and I think outside of youth development in the past, I've been reactionary. I'm like, something has happened. Someone's been killed. This is horrible. What do I need to do right now about this specific case and this specific person? How do I support? Um, And I'm kind of shifting my focus to what does local legislation look like in New York City? Um, You know, who has a track record of actually showing that they're concerned about law enforcement in New York City and about taking money away from them and uplifting um, the community um, and about finding out how I can attach myself to organizations that are already doing the work so that I can have a consistent involvement in the work that's being done as opposed to just getting involved when something happens. Yeah, who are the people, some of the people in New York, because you know, our, our audience is primarily New York and, and beyond. Who are some of the candidates that have come up? And, and I always find this interesting is to ask the question of, in hindsight, who was the most right the earliest? That's always an interesting test because you never really know until the time has passed um, who, who has kind of come up and has been on the right side for a while that's kind of turned your ear and piqued your interest. Yeah, um, so I'm terrible with names. Um, there is um, the, hopefully I'm not pronouncing it incorrectly, but the uh, Black, Latino, and Asian Caucus Um, in New York City, and they have been doing a lot of work on the legislative level, um, trying to introduce um, a lot of these bills that we're seeing getting passed right now, um, like repealing 50A um, and like the Eric Garner Anti-Chokehold Act. And they've only been able to be successful because of the amount of noise that's being made through protests um, and rallies. So yeah, it's just a, for me personally about doing my, you know, due diligence about finding out about like the work that's being done um, on the local level. Again, you know, I, I talk about social media a lot, but it's, you know, it's the sign of the times and there's a lot of information via social media and it's really easy to connect with organizations via social media and say, this is what I do. How can I, you know, share my resources with you to get involved? Um, I've worked, you know, in front of the camera for many years, um, and I also own a camera. So I've also been going out and documenting every day that I've been out um, and taking photos, taking video, um, and just compiling like a document uh, documentation of everything that I've been witnessing um, for the past few weeks. Um, so yeah, I, it's. For me, it's just all about finding where I fit in um, and, you know, elaborating on how I can make it a continued practice. And have you ever had, with social media, the amount of information coming in is exponentially more than it used to be with just local paper. (laughs) Yeah. So have you had... 
as a bit of a fact checker, I like to always kind of like look in and check the sources and almost go to the opposite person's um, opinion. Like I, I'm proud to say that as exhausting as it may be that I get CNN news briefs, I get Fox news briefs. Mm -hmm. I go, I listen to something that maybe I would more agree with. I'll go, if something big happens, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Fox news very quickly to see what the way that it's being covered or if it's being covered and things yeah. like, have you had any moments with all the information that's coming at you kind of in your fact checking of what's been going on where you've been let down, where you felt like something was presented at a higher level of integrity than when you dug a little bit, it actually was, or has that not happened yet? Um, I don't know if that specifically happened, but, um, you know, for me, it's been great to use social media as a starting point, not as an ending point. So mm -hmm. for example, um, there's been like a lot of share about, you know, black owned businesses on social media. So it's like, you receive that information about the black owned businesses. And then for me, I go and look up those individual businesses and try to find out a little bit more about what they're doing and use my own personal discernment. Um, so that's been my way. I, I love the share on social media, specifically Instagram. I think it's amazing. Um, but for me, again, it's, it's a starting point. That's it. I've never heard it stated that way. And I really like the way that you just put it, how to view Instagram um, curation of information as a starting point, not the end point. That's kind of your jump off point. Thanks. Thanks very yeah. much. All right. What is some advice for those who would like to get involved in advocating for change that you would give? Yeah. Um, just speaking from personal involvement um, to to one, get involved in a way that feels comfortable for you. Um, and so, you know, I live in New York City. I live by myself. Um, I've been home in quarantine isolation for three months. Like I'm well. So um, going out and attending protesting and rallies makes sense for me. Mm -hmm. That might not be a circumstance that everyone can do. You know, you might live with family. You might live with um, elderly and, you know, for whatever, or you might have to work every single day. And for whatever reason, that might not be the avenue for you. Um, so for me, it's just been like, okay, what can I do now? Um, and then adding to that, I've also been trying to have a dialogue with myself about what areas do I not feel as comfortable about um, mm -hmm. and why. So, I mean, we, we spoke about this already, but for me, I've never really thought of myself as a super politically involved or motivated person. Um, and, you know, this past few weeks, I've been forced to acknowledge that there's a lot that I don't know um, about um, politics and legislation, specifically on the local and the state level. Um, and so that's an area that I'm just recently starting to um, learn about um, and navigate, and I'm hoping to continue uh, to do that. Yeah. So it's just about kind of like starting where you feel comfortable and then recognizing where you don't feel comfortable um, and just giving space to evaluate why you don't feel comfortable in those spaces and what spaces you maybe could do a better job of occupying. Um, that's what it's been for me. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, I think that's a really important, important point to bring up is that if everyone just figured out how they felt and walked up to the line of discomfort. Mm. If everyone collectively did that, 
then there wouldn't have to be as many people going into uncomfortable situations yeah. when necessary. And, and I think that that's the, the, perhaps the tipping point for something like this, which this, this does feel different. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, we'll see how the judicial system plays out. Yeah. That obviously matters in this. Um, but that being said, it feels like more people are looking in the mirror and saying, what am I comfortable with, with something that I disagree with? And if more people end up doing that, it raises the tide up. And then yeah. maybe it doesn't have to be so uncomfortable and so many people extending themselves beyond what they would feel comfortable for something that they feel passionate about. Right. So it's really well well put. Um, I hope everyone takes your advice on, on how to be um, more involved and a good advocate. Um, five years from now, what kind of changes do you want to see? What, what do you want this to look like? What do you hope it's gonna look? I'm gonna ask this a little bit of a different way. What do you want to see? And then what do you think if you're a betting person what do you think will be the difference? Um, I hope five years from now we can, specifically in New York, I hope five years from now we can look back and say that we have really drastically, drastically changed how we allocate resources um, to different communities. Um, something that I've learned a little bit about during this time um, is that resource or communities that have lower crime rates um, do not have lower crime rates because of police presence. They actually have lower crime rates because they have more resources. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, um, it's a race issue, but it's a class issue and it's an economic issue. So, um, you know, what is our commitment not to just black and brown people and people of color, but what is our commitment to black and brown people that live in underserved communities? Um, and how will we really, really change, um, how will we really, really change the way the city um, allocates resources to those communities um, to make sure that they're getting the services and the opportunities that they need? And, and what else needs, to happen. And, and I know that that sounds like a, uh, I, I'm not putting down your response. I, I, there is a part of me that feels that all of the money could shift. And that's just looking at kind of like the top of the nail and yeah, totally. more to it. What, what, what's the rest, what's that spherical um, answer as far as what needs to happen, like I'll say campaign financing reform because I feel like that bleeds into everything. You've said reallocation of resources. What else is in there that, that are the, the variables that end up contributing in ways that people might not think um, and have a coupling effect in order to move us in the right direction away from where we've been? What, what comes to your mind? Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is honestly, education on an individual level, do we really on an individual level understand what mass, mass incarceration is? Do we on an individual level really understand what the 
prison industrial complex is and how are we in our daily lives supporting these things? Can we make changes on an individual level to stop these systems that we don't agree with? Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it, it definitely starts there. I don't know if that's a full answer to your question, but but for me on a personal level, it's, I feel like I'm, currently in the midst of a re-education. Um, and I think if maybe if we all participate in this type of re-education, this movement won't end. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, I, and I hope that at the end, the, again, it's not, it's not giving, it's giving opportunity is, is, yeah. the, way, is, is, is the, the lens that I look at it through is how to give, because I look at it, as you said, this is, there are ties with race to class, economics, to everything. It's, it's, it's a more, it's a very complicated um, animal that exists. And, and for me, as I look at it as health, healthcare, okay? yeah. so helping to, to, to do some more, um, work to raise people's health IQ. If you can raise people's health IQ, then perhaps then you'll have some sort of better outcomes. Like that's in there somewhere. My father has volunteered with Covenant House forever now and trying to figure out ways to make sure that opportunities are given, but safety has to occur as well. Like some people, opportunity may look like, um, my mom just got a new boyfriend. I, and I'm 18 years old and now I'm out on the street. I need a place over my head so I can continue to make use of what I have and as my opportunities. And so that might be a bed at Covenant House, but for someone else, opportunity or protection of opportunity or giving more opportunity can look completely different. Yeah. And I think that those are part of the conversations that need to end up occurring between people is um, a lot of people I think get biased to what affected them and whether that was economic or something else. But really trying to hit this from many angles takes a lot of people having a lot of conversations about their experiences and educating people so that then they can end up hopefully coming to a good answer to address the multifactorial problem that we have. Yeah. Cool. All right, I will open this up for questions right now. Okay. This is exciting. <laughs> no one ends up having any questions because you covered things so well. I will preemptively say thank you, and then I'll thank you again if we get any questions. Okay. Cool. All right. So, Jay, just do us a favor. Tell us, one, how everybody can find you if they'd like to, you know, follow your work or anything like that. Um, and then, two, just – Tie it up a little bit for us. Like, what do you want people to leave this conversation thinking about? Sure. Um, I mean, I think the easiest way to find me, of course, is on Instagram. Um, so I am at Zojea, um, at Z-O-J-E-A. Uh, my Instagram looks completely different than it did a month ago, which is a great thing um, because I'm just personally trying to participate in the share of information that's going on right now. Um, and so I'm not really posting much that is uh, career focused, but really um, a lot of information that is like community organizing focused. So please, if you're interested in finding out 
um, you know, the kind of organizing um, and meetups that are happening in New York City, I'm posting a lot. So feel free to check that out. Um, and what I would like for everyone to receive from this today, um, I feel as though the most encouragement that I receive is from seeing um, my peers in my community doing the work. Um, and that's what motivates me and that's what uplifts me. Um, so I would encourage everyone to do the same. Um, when you are talking about these issues, when you are posting about these issues, when you're sharing about these issues, you encourage others to do the same thing. Um, and so, you know, it's one thing to call and check in um, on your friends, but if you can also put some of your energy into practice, um, that is a really, really great way to inspire other people too. So I would just encourage everyone to um, try to participate um, in practice in ways that they can and in ways that make sense to them. Zojay, I thank you. I thank you for inspiring. I thank you for putting things so eloquently. I thank you for being such a kind human. And I thank you for letting me feel the pride that I get to see knowing you. So thank you so much, my friend. Order and thank everyone. Thank you, everyone, for stopping by. And we hope that this helped you out just a little bit. Everyone, be well, and we'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Thank you.